0: Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Uh, folks, over the summer, there's been a few times when I've talked to and connected with you, we've opened up God's Word together, and it has been a long uh, theme of saying, you know, there's some questions that we need answered as we're going through whatever we're going through and whenever we're going to finish going through it. Uh, God has got some things that he wants us to focus on. And the first one that I talked to you about this, what's the lesson that God has been at work? He actually doesn't want you to go back to the same old, same old as we go through this. He is doing something in you and he has a new thing. And what's that new thing that he's been working in you? And as I've talked to a whole bunch of people, you said, oh yeah, God's teaching me this and he's teaching me that and teaching me to love my husband because he's around a lot more and not to kill my children because I have to teach. No, that kind of stuff, right? It means euphemisms. And doing all that kind of stuff. So there's a lesson that you are learning and you want to carry those lessons forward. The second thing that I talked to you about was that there is an upgrade That God is continually working in your life, whether you see it or not. Joseph's upgrade was going from being a slave to being in jail. That does not look like an upgrade. And some of you are in the middle of this, and you would think there is no way, except it's actually not your plan, it's God's plan. And he is in the middle of everything that you're doing. He is giving you an upgrade, and and you need to. Some of us, like honestly, we need to upgrade our thinking because we don't think like that. We think like, "Oh, here's the situation, and I'm surrounded by all these stupid people," and uh," you know, no. God's got an upgrade. (laughs) I wasn't looking at anybody in particular there. And, and I think this is huge for us to begin to think, what is the upgrade in our life that God is moving us toward? It actually can revolutionize how you see your bad stuff, the stuff that appears bad on the outside. Today I want to finish off our, little ta- our time together with this and say, what is the fight? What is the fight that you and I need to be fighting? And, and I think... If you look at this time that we're in right now, I've personally, like 30 plus years of being a pastor, I have never been in a time like this where people who are as close as families, as friends, are as fractured. Never. Because usually it works with affinity, right? The people I kind of love and care about and know, by, whether it's culture, language, or, you know, different things that we connect with, we've been able to get along because we kind of all think the same. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place that I think is really unique for a lot of people, where the people who I'm closest to, I'm struggling with. And I hear story after story after story. It doesn't help that somebody said to me, he said, you know what? Everybody I know is operating at about 60% and has no idea. Like I think, I'm assuming they're saying emotionally, not mentally. But maybe mentally too, right? And, and we're all kind of struggling and there's this, been this cumulative effect. And we are in this place now where what do we do as the family of God? How are we going to respond to the fact that there are absolute differences amongst us? Some of you have really strong opinions on one side, and some of you have really strong opinions on the other side. And now we're going into an election, right? And, and we, you know, we could divide our congregation and we could say, well, you know, I vote for this and I vote for that. And then we have the media coming along, and the media thrives on fear. They actually make their money off of fear and they will, they will just, it's like a fire that they want to have blowing through because that gets it going. And politicians, many of them, and you're going to see a bunch of attack ads coming out party to party where they will say something like, maybe not quite this, this overt, but it's there, you know, if you vote for that guy, your whole healthcare system is going to be gone. All you have to do is send me $20 and I'll save you. No vested interest there, right? Or if you vote for that guy, the whole economy, hell in a handbasket. But if you send me $50, I will keep your pension safe and you will be okay. And they are moving at that fear of loss. And I think it's really important that we're aware of where they're going with this. And of course, there are good politicians. And I would say, of course, there's good media. Maybe, I don't know. But at the end of the day that there is an agenda that they have that they poke at that fear of loss that you would have, that they want us to live in fear, and it's the enemy strategy for us. How do we as a church respond to the fact that we have a whole bunch of different opinions and strongly held opinions and opinions that could potentially fracture our families? What are we going to do? As we look at this, There there are a couple of things that that I want to kind of really focus you on. And and one is this. That those opinions and those things that we hold strongly aren't bad. We're meant to be diverse. We're meant to have a whole bunch of different opinions on different things. It's what you do with that opinion is important. So the point isn't uniformity. That we all think exactly the like on a bunch of stuff. Pastor Steve, would you come up? I'm going to use Steve as an example. And no one will be hit... In the demonstration of this point, this time, it was, my, it was one of my favorite emails. This is like a huge divergence. One of my favorite emails. Remember when Pastor Mark had Steve in, the, in all the guard and he was hitting him and everything like that? And then I had this guy send an email saying, Why is Pastor Mark hitting that old guy? <laughs> I knew your wife would like that one. I was guaranteed that, you know, just because you're follically challenged does not mean you're old. And so, you know, if you would take a look, you want to pull your lapel up there just a little bit. Now, can you zoom in on, like, right there? Can, we see, can we, you guys see what that is? What does that say? What does it say, guys? To Toronto Maple Leafs. You can read that, right? You can. not It says Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. This is perfect. You guys are totally tracking with my analogy here. Now, here's the thing. Pastor Steve and I both come from Northern Saskatchewan. We kind of have the same way of we, you know, you a little bit guyish stuff. If you want to tell somebody you love them, you poke at them and tell them they're stupid and you know make fun of them and everything like that. It's sort of we were talking about. It's sort of the Saskatchewan way of doing things, right? And so we told like that we love sports and we have that in common. Steve and I have both been pastors forever, and we kind of carry a pastor's heart and we 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 think alike. We have all that stuff, but he's got that thing. Like it's, you know, like Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's like the Riders and the Bombers. Hello. And you know what we can do? And this is just the first starting point. Is we can just think about that. And have that become the thing that every time I see Steve, I kind of sneer. Well, it would be more like pity, actually. But (laughs) how many years has, no, I won't (laughs) More than than 50 years since they've done anything. You know, at the end of the day, though, we have to make a decision to say, as children of the king, how am I going to see someone who's different than me? And some of the, you say, well, that's pretty trivial. Yeah, you know, I was using that because I wanted to get you. Thanks, Steve. But at the end of the day, how we see people, and and what we want to do, what I want to talk to you about today is, in our relationships, one of the most valuable commodities that we have is trust. And the opposite of trust is suspicion. And depending on how we walk through our relationships, and Jesus is going to give us a really great example of that, either we lower the trust and raise the suspicion, or we raise the trust and we, lo- and we lower the suspicion. And trust is this incredible commodity that I have because, you know what, we are going to rub each other the wrong way. You're going to have opinions that are annoying to me. And what am I going to do is that I have to look at where making sure my trust tank is full. And what am I focusing on? What am I thinking about? And even more importantly, I think Jesus walks us through some things when he unfolds scripture to say, you know what? There's a better way to look at this. I, I don't know if you saw the quote. It's actually D.A. Carson and Keller took it. He says, Christians are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Christ's sake. There is an affinity that we have with people that's good, but eventually that falls away and our differences can be the thing that either divides us or we choose to put in its right place and we put something else above it. And I think it's a real challenge. Somebody said to me, you know, I think I'm going to have to have surgery. I've been biting my tongue so much. (laughs) And you might feel like that. Or you might be on the other side. Everybody knows your opinion all the time. And they're sick of you. And they've maybe said that to your face. You know, kind of either continuum, right? What are we going to do, guys? We are the family of God. And you have a family that you work in, and your family is God's gift to you. You say, man, he got to work on his skills of giving. Have you seen my family? But they are. And how we, how we maneuver this, how we function in it, and how we think about it is so important. So we're going to take some time and we're going to kind of look at that. Not let fear divide us. Not let fear have any part in us. Keep that trust level high. And before I get into my text, I want to give you, this is like bonus time. There's one scripture that has been kind of my, my guiding light. When I've tried to navigate all of this, and it's Second Timothy two, twenty three, and this you can take for what you can grab out of this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And this is probably the verse that I have more than anything else tried to implement in my life to say, Okay, God, would you help me with this? First of all, help me discern what is foolish and stupid. Because I like arguing. Because I, th- I have a very high opinion of my opinions, and so do you, right? We, and, and we grow by doing it, right? You and I could have a discussion, and we would do it, and we would grow, and we'd become better people. So we don't do that. We don't cut off that part, but we have to be discerning about what's foolish and stupid, and, and the end of the verse actually gives us a cue. It says, because they lead to quarrels. The difference between an argument and a quarrel is a quarrel is something that has long-standing life to it that divides. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. And you in your life, as a follower of Jesus, have no place for those. It drags you down, it drags the people you around down, and it actually spoils what it is that God has for you. And here here was-I think this is their definition of glorifying God. Here, here, I love this. They said: this is what we should be as Christians. We should be the people who God has lit up so they can see Jesus. And, and the problem is, we get lit up over the wrong things. Because people aren't seeing Jesus when you're lit up over other things. And it doesn't mean they aren't important. It's just that's not the thing that you are supposed to be known for lighting you up. And so as we take a look at this, I want to give you hopefully some really, really practical stuff of how do we do this. And we're going to look at very famous words when Jesus talks about how we love our enemies. And I know these people aren't necessarily your enemies, but the principles in there are really important. Luke chapter 6, if you have your Bible, we'll turn to verse 28. Jesus says, uh, but you who are listening, love your enemies and do good. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as they would do to you. And uh, verse 32 is, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Okay. So you probably have heard those verses before, but I want to take a, a kind of a deeper dive into this because on the surface it could sound like just be nice. Right? Doesn't that kind of sound that way? Yeah, just be nice. Actually, Jesus is way deeper than that. He isn't actually just telling you to be nice. There is a deeper ethic that he is driving you, us to, as followers of him, to say that there's something that we need to grab a hold of in the middle of this. And the thing that he says is that you need to start with prayer. And starting with prayer is not like, bless those stupid people who don't understand science. That's not prayer. Prayer is bringing myself towards God and saying, God, what's your agenda? What's your heart? And what do I need to get rid of in order for you to light me up? Because that's what I really want. That's what you really want. At the end of the day, you really want Jesus to shine through you. I know you do because his spirit lives in you. And there's, that's irrepressible in you, even if you don't know it. So what he says is you need to start with prayer. I was, uh, years back, I was taking a course in Atlanta, and I had the privilege of being at Martin Luther King Jr.'s church, Ebenezer Baptist Church, and you can see a, a picture right in the middle of Civil War, the, uh, the Civil War. They had this great stuff, and he was actually the associate pastor there, and as I was reading, there was an old gentleman who was actually part of the movement way back when, and there was, wasn't anybody else around, and he just sat down with me, and he was telling me stories of King. And I thought, well, this is like amazing, right? And and he said, you know, there was one time where there was this big march, and there was violence that was completely like disproportionate. They were peacefully marching, and and people got killed. And there was just this this anger and this hatred that was coming out on on specifically one way toward them. And uh, he said, after that march ended, everybody went back home, and King disappeared. Nobody saw him for 24 hours, 48 hours, and people were getting agitated. And you know that there's lots of other voices around, right? we got to strike back. we got to do this. we got to do that. And he said, this is, he says, I'll never forget this story. He said, you know what? I think it was two days later, he came out and he said, you know what? I couldn't actually say anything because if I would have said something, it would have come out of my wrong heart. I needed to get my heart right. I needed to go to pray. And you will never hear on CNN and in Fox where they say, you know, King's great, but you, they never talk about his prayer retreats, the places where he laid his face down, where he was, he was absolutely treated horribly and talked about and threatened with death and doing all these things. And where did he take it to? He actually took it to God and he poured his heart out for him, to him. And, and as he's talking about that, This is what he said. He says, you know what? What I do is I come to that place of forgiveness. And forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring what's been done or putting a a false label on an evil act. Are you with me? It means rather that an evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. Do you get that? The reason why God's Jesus said, I need to go to prayer, you need to start with prayer about the people who you disagree with is because naturally your heart is going to put up barriers against those people. And God needs to clean it out. Because you actually can't be helpful to him. You can't light anything up if you don't get your heart cleaned. And your opinion is, what was 1 Corinthians say? Without love you are a... Gong! You're a gong show, apparently. This is what the Bible says. <laughs> you know? And, and it isn't that we, just, we decide that way, but I think we just miss this first step. We miss this first step of going before God and, and really coming to Him and saying, God, would you clean me out so that my opinion, so that my challenges so that my words so the way that I talk are going to be coming not out of my own I have to look good I have to be the one my opinion has to I said this before I have a very high opinion of my opinions and so do you right but if our hearts clean those things will find the right place I I love at the end of his life and these are I don't think he knew that these were prophetic words but this is what King said this is like anybody, I would like to live a long life. But I'm really not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And I am so happy today. And those of you who know his life history know that there was huge pressure on him. And he wasn't always a happy guy. He really felt it. She says, I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I don't, I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And you know what? As we, th- I want you to let that sink in just a little bit, right? Cause he spent time with Jesus. He began to see something else. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming Lord. You know what? Nobody else in the world is going to see that except followers of Jesus. You have sight that nobody else has. And you don't get it by like watching the 24-hour news cycle or fighting with the people who you love. You actually get it by being with Jesus and letting him clean your heart out and letting him be at that place where he puts his eyes into you, where he says, you know what, how important is this? And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes we need to say those words. I'm not telling you not to do that. But you have to say the words out of a heart that has been with Jesus. He says, pray for your enemies. Does that make sense? It's the place where we start, friends. Second thing is this. We need to fight the cheeky way. Not these, these. Okay? Uh, if someone, this is, this is Luke six and verse 29. If someone slaps you on the cheek, you turn to them the other also. Now I think that this probably is one of the least understood scriptures in the Bible because people will probably think it means this is that if somebody is being ignorant and stupid and they're, they're doing stuff to me, all I do is I have to just sit there and keep, just keep taking it. I'm Christian's job is to be a doormat come on, hit me, I'm probably not worth anything anyway, so just keep smacking me, here I am. And that's not what it says. If you were, the people who were reading this scripture in the first time are from the Middle East, and they didn't handshake, well, we don't handshake anymore either, but they, don't, they didn't handshake, what did they do? Kiss, right? You would get the two cheeks, so when you turn your cheek to somebody, what are you doing? You're extending friendship. Everybody who read this would have understood that this was a relational thing that God was saying. It wasn't a just beat me senseless because I'm no good. And that's huge for you because it's exactly what King was saying. This is about relationships being the most important thing. And so when you turn your cheek, it's absolutely something completely different. I was... Um, my wife and I were, were driving. We lived just off of St. Anne's Roads in Winnipeg. And uh, we were turning on. We were about to turn on. And this big, huge truck and this car came. And he needed more room than she was going to give. And you just kind of saw it coming, right? And I almost like I saw their eyes locking. And they were looking at each other. And they were already staring daggers. Then all of a sudden, the hand signals came out. And the finger signals came out. And the death stairs came out. And they had this little thing going on. And eventually, they made it through we thought, oh, that was entertaining for us anyways. And then as the car drove away, this was her license plate. (laughs) I thought, that's fantastic. Because that's us, right? We have amazing heart intent. We want to do what's right. But then we run into people who are people. And, and all of us are at a different place. And, you know, friends, if there's one thing kind of practically that I can encourage you in, it's this. We need to be patient with each other. Because I I'm, don't know what you're going through and you don't know what I'm going through. And, you know, we, we might even have the right intent. But we end up doing that thing. And it just doesn't work. We, we so desperately need to have God help us in this. Um, there are, are sort of three ways that generally people respond when they're being attacked. The first one is that passive, you know, you keep your cheek and just sort of keep it coming because I deserve it. The, the second one would be kind of the, if that's the victim, then it would be the vindictive. is sort of the natural, fleshy way to respond. I'm going to come, you say that to me, oh yeah, well I'm going to claw your eyes out, right? Or you do the passive-aggressive thing where you just stab people behind the back. And, and either way, it's that either the, just passive, let it happen, or it's the vindictive, let it go. Those are the natural ways to have it. And, and we see it, whether it's right off the front, because some of you are way more controlled, but you actually let it rest in your heart, which might actually be more dangerous, right? It, isn't it interesting how that when people, there's some sort of mass shooting in the US, and then they go to the person's street? who they were lived on, and they just say, oh, he was the nicest boy. He kept to himself. And, and he did. we would have never thought. See, your heart is the thing that God's concerned about because out of your heart, it doesn't matter whether your first response is, he wants another way for us to interact. And I'm going to give you the, the thing that I think is is incredibly important in this. And that's in, in verse 35 of our, of our passage. Jesus says these things. He says, um, but love your enemies, do good to them. So we've got our heart right, so now we've got to do the doing part. Lend to them without expecting anything back, and then your reward will be great. And here's the part I want you to get. You will be children of the Most High... Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You got that right? Who are the ungrateful and the wicked? You are! Well, me too. I was way more excited about you, though. <laughs> you, he starts off this, and we have, this is the thing that, that absolutely levels the ground for us. And this is one of the most important ways that you are going to begin to relate to unconditionally love people who differ from you. He says, you need to get this. You are both completely, totally loved. You are the gorgeous bride of Christ. And at the same time, you are absolutely evil. Because when we do that, that's when we can look at somebody else in the eye. Jesus says it to his disciples almost like, so easily, he says, you know how the Father gives good gifts? Even, even, a, even you know how to give good gifts to your children, and you're evil. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, Jesus? See, we would, we would like that, those two things not to be together, but he says, you know what? You have to understand, they are. You are both completely and totally loved, and God can't wait to live with you in eternity, and he understands that you also are evil. And what it does, like I said, is it levels it out so we can begin to talk and see people the way God sees people. And then I can have a relationship with them and then I can relate in a way that I am going to be able to talk to them in a way that's helpful so I can do good. So here's my question for you. What does doing good look like? Is it always being nice? Isn't, right? So doing good, I think here, here's one practical thing that you have to think about. When I'm thinking about doing good, I'm not actually thinking about am I being nice, and I'm like generally a nice guy, sort of-ish, right? Somebody said, I thought this was very funny, this is very extemporous. Somebody said, uh, you know what, Aubrey, you are a very nice guy, but. And they said, actually, that's your thing. You can be nice, but. And I actually took that as a huge compliment, because when I was younger, I was just nice. Some of you are going, really? (laughs) Yeah, I was just nice. And you know what? Nice is not always helpful. Because you're not actually loving somebody if you're just nice. It means you're not saying the things that you need to say to them with your heart clean and everything good and caring about them and knowing that you're like love but you're actually evil, right? That's when you cannot be just nice. Some of you need more nice. But it means that, Holy Spirit, where are you leading in this situation? And one of the things, folks, that I think has been so helpful, and I've seen you model this over and over again in this church, is that rather than saying the thing that's your opinion, what you've done is you've just loved people. Because most of the time, nobody has been unconditionally loved In our world, that does not happen, and when you love somebody unconditionally, most of the hurt falls away, and the hard words fall away with it. Most of the time, God's saying, hey, would you just unconditionally love people? Because that's the gift that we have to give that the world can't give. Sometimes you need to say a strong word to somebody because they need to hear the truth because the way they are going is destructive to their soul. Sometimes you need to just be kind. And sometimes you need to shut up. Got one amen. Thank you. (laughs) And what you are doing as you are navigating this time that we're in right now where we've never been in before and maybe you're at 60% you don't know you're at 60% is you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need you more now than ever to help me to know how to navigate this because what are you doing? Can you think about that? Every time you get in that situation, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in the life of that person? What are you doing in that annoying person? What are you doing in that person that my heart breaks for because they're so bound up in fear? And and I'm going to, you know, say it out. I've heard people say, oh yeah, those people who don't get vaccines, they're just, you know, they're all bound up in fear. People who do get vaccines, they're just all bound up in fear. Okay. (laughs) Okay. How about we just not do that to each other? And just say, you know what? I'm going to look and say, what is God doing in your life? And I want to help you. I'm not going to label you. Right? Ooh, that... Mm, mm, oh. But if, I think that question is such a good one. Well, God, what are you doing in somebody else's life? I want to be Helpful. To my brother and sister, I want to do. Last thing is this: we want to fight like Jesus. And and here's the here's the thing that I want to direct you to. And this is from John chapter 17, and so his, his last words, his last prayer. He's just gone through the Last Supper. He sees the cross ahead of him. He's in that place, and it's like he comes to God and he says, he says, Father, I have one request. And when somebody has last words, that's usually important, isn't it? Their last words are important. I, I, I think it was Lenin was talking to Stalin. I thought this was really amazing. And Lenin said to Stalin on his deathbed, I'm not sure the people are going to follow you. I'm not sure you're the right leader for Russia. And he says, no, you're probably right. Half the people will follow me, and the other half of the people will end up like you. Wow. Right? W.C. Fields said he, he was reading the Bible and somebody came in and he is not a Bible person on his deathbed and they said, What are you doing? He says, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> Our last words, the last prayer, probably important. I think you'd agree with it. And Jesus' last prayer is this that all of them, May be one Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God, would you light me up so people recognize who you are? It, it's it's odd math: one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals one, because the one is Jesus Christ. And when we put him above everything else, all of a sudden this prayer, you can put put that back up again, guys. All of a sudden this prayer takes on a whole different meaning. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that they may be one just as you and I are one. His last prayer, guys, for us was that. I don't think I pray that enough. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be more concerned about these things, right? When's the last time you prayed that? God, would you do it to us? Because we have, Danica talked about a mission. They will know by our love. That's what we have to give. And and I think this this is one of the most amazing opportunities we have as a church. We can completely flat out disagree with each other, and it doesn't matter. Because I love you. Ooh, just about love you too much there. (laughs) Because I love you. And I have something way more important than the thing that I disagree with you about. Amen? Why don't you stand? If you're watching online, yeah, you can stand if you're here. If you're watching online, I want to take this moment and you're going to join in with those of us who are here in the building and I want you to do one thing. There's a little hand that's popping up and if you have never made that decision to accept Jesus and give him leadership your life, those of you in the building, maybe you haven't done that either or you have and you've slipped away, I want to give you a chance. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, whoever you focus on God. And we're going to pray this prayer. And if that's you today, if that is you that you need to make that decision, I want you to just hit that hand. And those of you in the building with nobody looking around, if you need to make that decision, would you just raise your hand up? And I'll acknowledge it, and you can put it back down. Give you just a minute to online hit that hand. Anybody in the building? Thank you. Good. Okay. We're going to pray a prayer together. And it's going to be a prayer of surrender and also a prayer of God. Would you do that? Would you make us one? that We're, we're up for that. Light us up, God. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you thought enough of us, that you died for us, that you loved your father so much that you said yes. Today we say yes to you. Give leadership of our lives. Lord, make us one as you are one. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.